Holiness needs intimacy. For us to be holy, more holy in our lives, fruitfulness of our lives is holiness. We need to be intimate with Lord Jesus. But intimacy also requires holiness. We need to be holy in order to have intimacy with Lord Jesus. Look at the scripture. Holiness is an essential for intimacy. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. The context of the beginning of 1 John is so important too. If you read 1 John, look at how he starts off. He is like the guy who put his head on Jesus' chest. He is the one who said the disciple that Jesus loved. He, he at least perceived himself as having a deeply intimate relationship with Jesus. And he's busting up because he wants to tell us stuff that he knows so that we can have that same kind of relationship with Jesus. So in, in uh, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1, this is what John says. This is the message we have heard from him. Now, he's not reading it in the Bible. He experienced this message. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if, but if, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is just metaphor for holiness. It's, it's being as you should be. It's, it's doing as you should do. It's, it's not doing things that you shouldn't do. It's walking with God because he's light. There is no darkness in him at all. If we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship with God. He doesn't live there. He lives in holiness and righteousness and truth. So when we practice those things, we have fellowship with God and we walk together. Now, the chicken and the egg can be a problem. Well, I need intimacy with him to be holy so that I can be holy to have intimacy with him. Remember, we're born again. I mean, if we're born again, we're born again, which means we have Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't have to have a power that brings holiness initially outside of intimacy because we have the power of God inside of us to bring holiness out of us. So we don't have to be concerned with that the devil is going to get in our head or that we got all these fleshly desires. You don't have to serve the fleshly desires. You have to know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And through that power, we have the ability to walk in holiness so that we might walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. Now, the flip of that, if you change the phrasing just a little bit, intimacy or knowing is essential for holiness, which would be parallel to godliness. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, granting us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Godliness is a representation of light where there is no darkness. It's holiness. It's perfection. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. He's given to us everything that we need to walk in this holiness. It's, it's like, how do I do that? It's, it's in the knowledge of God. Apostle Paul so knew this. If you, if you want to have a fun New Testament study, go looking for the places where the Apostle Paul talks about knowing God. He prays about it. He said that the answer is to know God. And the scripture tells us that uh, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, we get 
everything pertaining to life and godliness or holiness. So, so in knowing him brings about godliness. As we increase the knowledge of God in our hearts, we will increase in holiness. And the bonus is that grace and peace. Do you ever wonder, you know, I don't have any peace in my life. I need more grace. God, where's your grace? Where's your grace? He's like, just read my book. Just sit down and invite me into your presence. Because in the knowledge of God, Grace and peace are multiplied in us. They're, they're not just added. It's not like one grace and peace, now you can have two. It's a multiplication. It's an increase that flows out of knowing God. You can't know him without being intimate with him. Devo can order for his wife in the restaurant because he knows her so well. She goes to wash her hands. She comes back. Hey, that's what I wanted. How did they know? They didn't know because they don't know you, but he knows you. If we're from Luke 14 to have such an intimate, devout relationship with Christ that it makes that look like hate, Jesus should never order a meal in a restaurant because we would always be so intimate with him that we would know exactly what his wishes and desires are in every circumstance. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. Here's an example of the Apostle Paul, and this is a prayer that he's praying over the Ephesians, which we can take as a prayer over ourselves. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That you would have a spirit, a literal spirit that comes and brings an anointing from heaven of wisdom and revelation, not of the deep things this or the deep things that, but of the knowledge of God himself. That you would have a spirit that would bring you wisdom and revelation in knowing God. If you wonder, it's like, God, I I don't know how to know you better. I, I can sit in the chair and pray. I look at the book. I don't feel... Lord, I ask that you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the very knowledge of you that I might know you better. He'll answer that prayer, I promise you. How about intimacy and discipleship, right? Luke 14 was discipleship. First Peter something was, you shall be holy for I am holy. How about intimacy and discipleship? Remember the requirements of a disciple in Luke 14. Devotion and love that makes the same for your family look like hate. The second one, dying daily to ourselves by picking up our cross and carrying it every single day. Anything that's unlike Jesus, that's a part of us, gets put on that cross every single day. It's an implement of death. And then the third one is giving up all our possessions. I'll use that scripture as a launching point for this. 1433. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. I won't let you, or you just won't be my disciple. Remember, you can't serve two masters. Jesus has to have absolute first place in our hearts. And what he's saying is, unless you, from your heart, disengage all your possessions, then your possessions will separate you from me and you can't be my disciple. It just won't happen. If you read the Luke 6 scripture, you know, somebody said, what's the one most powerful scripture in your life? For me, it would probably be seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's so powerful to me because I have experience with it. The whole course of scripture starts with therefore. Therefore, why do you worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where you're going to live and the lilies in their clothing is better than Solomon and all this stuff. Don't you know that your father knows what you need? He's happy to give it to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this will be added to you. The therefore at the beginning 
follows you can't serve two masters. Because you can't serve two masters, you can't have any fear about your provision. Because if you start to have fear about your provision, you'll serve the master that's wealth, not the master that you can trust for all your provision. That's why Jim and Heather can have perfect peace when somebody snatched their money. Because he put it there front once, he'll put it there again. I'm not going to serve fear in the deal of this money because I can't serve fear and I can't serve the Lord. How is it possible that you or I could meet the conditions of discipleship as, as laid out in this particular course? There's more places. If you want to keep your life, you have to lose it. So many places where he uses similar kind of pictures. How is it possible to do that outside of relationship? Excuse me, Margie, have I ever met you before? No, sir, I don't, no, I don't think I've ever seen you before. Okay, here's, here's the deal. Um, I need you to give up all your money, and by that I mean you give it to me. I need you to hate JD relative to your love for me, and I need you to pick up your cross, and anything that I don't want you to have, you put it on that cross every single day. I'll see you next Wednesday. If you could bring your checkbook, that'd be great. Margie's like, sure. No problem. You didn't even tell me your name. Who are you again? It's impossible. Who does that for someone they don't know? Then how is it we think for a second that we could meet the requirements of discipleship without having the benefits of an intimate relationship with the one who's asked us that? And he doesn't ask us that for his purpose. He asks it for our purpose. Because he understands there's a world that wants every bit of your attention. There's flesh that wants to be served every second of the day. And you can't have both. Outside of intimate relationship with Jesus, how in the world? You, you probably would not want to read your Bible because you'd feel like a failure every second. I can't do this. It's impossible. You're right. You can't. So I, I got to figure out how to do more deeds. So I need five more deeds a week and 10 more deeds. Just tell me how many deeds. You don't need any more deeds. You need five more minutes with the Lord. And out of that will flow deeds. And you'll look backwards. You'll say, wow, where'd all those deeds came from? They Deeds came from. Probably that's not good English. Where'd those deeds come from? How about this with regard to intimacy and discipleship? John eight thirty one and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So what? So how do I truly be his disciple? Okay, wait a minute. Luke said, I have to hate my family. I have to carry my cross. I have to give up all my possessions. But Jesus, I like this one better. Continue in your word, and I am truly your disciple. What's the difference? There is no difference. If we're intimate with him in his word, and we continue in his word, then we are going to be his disciples. Outside of continuing in his word... We're not truly going to be his disciples because we won't know him. I mean, hey, I took it out, actually, the scripture of the Matthew 7 guys. Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, you know, I quote that scripture a lot. What was the issue of the Matthew 7 guys? What did Jesus say? I never knew you. And those guys had works. John fifteen six again, discipleship and intimacy. Now, this is kind of from the negative perspective. I'll get to the positive perspective in a minute. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. I don't know what that picture looks like to you, but to me, that's kind of an eternal deal. If you don't abide in him, you gather it up together. And there's many scriptures that speak to this. Read the parable of the, of the, the wheat and the tares. Um, there's at least one or two more where Jesus talks about gathering up and throwing them into the fire. If you do not abide in me. An interesting thought came to me as I was putting these two together. I thought about if you continue... And I thought about abiding, and I looked at the Greek. It's the same word. The word to continue and the word to abide in the Greek are not two different words as we've translated them in the English. They're the same Greek word. The transliteration is meno or meno, M-E-N-O. He's saying the same thing in both of those things, and they both imply intimacy and relationship. If you don't abide in me, you're not mine. Let's look at intimacy and fruitfulness. That's kind of what Dave was telling us was the test. Fruitfulness. What's the, what's the fruit of your relationship with Jesus? This is, this is uh, John 15 again. That last verse will be included in these verses, 4 through 7. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch. Now, we're the branch. If you'd have read verses 1 through 4, we're the branch. Jesus is the vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we abide in him, and he said in John 8, his word abides in us, or we abide in his word. If we abide in him and his word abides in us, we ask whatever we want, and he'll give it to us. And what happens if you read John 14 and 15? It's so awesome. What happens is the Father in heaven is glorified before the eyes of men as we produce fruit from abiding in Jesus. He said, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. If you have intimacy, if you're tight with me, let me stop right here. Let me just read some words that are are the definition of the English word abide. To remain, to continue, or to stay. To have one's abode, to dwell, or reside. To continue in a particular condition, attitude, or relationship. To endure, sustain, or withstand without yielding or submitting. To accept without opposition or question. But what about trusting the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own, abiding without question? You can question, he'll answer, but you still abide in the process. You don't disengage Jesus because you have a question that you don't understand about Jesus, because you have a circumstance that doesn't meet your expectation of your life with Jesus. You don't stop abiding. You ask the question, but you abide in faith. To pay the price or penalty of, to suffer for, to act in accord with, to submit to, Agree to, to remain steadfast or faithful to, to keep. So this is, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, abide in me. Those are the words that define what he means to abide in him. It ties excellently to John 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will be my disciple. In any case, however you look at it, no abiding 
in Jesus, there is no fruitfulness. There is no fruitfulness that matters, nothing that counts eternally, nothing that brings glory to God outside of that we would abide in Jesus. How, how many have ever heard of Heidi Baker? I've, I've probably asked this question a hundred times. Heidi Baker's testimony is awesome. I mean, it's a continuing awesome testimony. Um, thousands and thousands of churches planted in the bush of Africa, huge suffering and physical pain and overcoming impossible things, miracles like you can't believe. People try to murder her and, and their gun won't shoot. I mean, just all kind of amazing testimonies. Heidi, and we had the, we had the honor of spending the summer with Heidi in Mozambique. So we got to sit under her teaching, under her ministry, lots that whole summer. Over and over and over, Heidi Baker, from her experience and from the scriptures, all fruitfulness flows from intimacy. All fruitfulness. I remember um, Roland Baker, her husband, said one time, our life is totally impossible. I mean, it's absolutely impossible. If we spent any time considering the challenges of our ministry and what God has called us to, we would die. I mean, seriously, he said we would blow up and die, but we don't consider those things. It's, it's you talking, pick. We don't consider those things. We consider him. We consider him. We consider him, and somehow all this stuff happens. I could tell you testimonies from just, just a little window of time we were there that were off the chart amazing. All fruitfulness flows from intimacy. Davo said, works are the metric by which intimacy may be measured. You have to pay attention now because I even make myself a little confused sometimes. You have to follow my logic as, as, I, as I try to prove his point. We become like those who we spend time with, right? If, if you think, well, you know what, that's probably not true. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You spend too much time with bad company, you're going to be corrupted. If that's true, then the inverse must be true. If you spend so much time with good company... Your good morals, your goodness is going to increase. Now, this is Jesus speaking in Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, the, the works, Davo said, works are the metric by which intimacy may be measured. If you boil works down to their basic essence, their service, their service to people, which is serving God. Okay? Okay. We become who? We become like those who we spend time with. Jesus did not come to be served. He was King Jesus, the humble king who came to serve and not to be served. The goal of the Christian life is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's a pretty bold statement, but I don't have time to expand on it, but trust me, it's true. If we look like Jesus, then we... I actually wrote it down. Having his character... We have his attitude. Having his attitude, we live as he lived in service to him serving others. If you boil down Christian life, it's to become like Jesus. As you become like Jesus, you, you think like Jesus. As you think like Jesus, you begin to act like Jesus. When you act like Jesus, more people come to know Jesus. The Father gets glorified. And the, 
that which is lost is saved and the works of the devil are destroyed, which Jesus said, I came that the, the works of the devil might be destroyed and that, or that to seek and to save that which was lost and to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, continuing. If service or works are not a substantial part of our life, the conclusion must be a lack of intimacy with the Lord. Here's the logic. You become like who you fellowship with. If you fellowship with Jesus, you're going to become like Jesus. If you become like Jesus, you'll behave like Jesus. If you behave like Jesus, the only outcome is works of service because Jesus came not to be served but to serve. So if you look and evaluate your life and you don't see service as a primary function of your life, then you have to be lacking in intimacy because you become like who you spend time with. If you spend time with Jesus, you'll become like Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. If there's no service in your life, you're not like Jesus. If you're not like Jesus, because you're not spending time with Jesus. Before I go on, I want to reinforce that you don't fall for the deception. The deception is, holy smokes, I don't look like Jesus. I need to do more works. You don't need to do more works. You need to be with Jesus. Here's... I'm not the the greatest, Keith, you're just going to love this. I'm not the greatest sermon illustration guy in the world. You all know that. But this is one I've used before. I'm going to use it again. What is that? That's a cucumber. That's right. This right here, this is the solution that turns this into a pickle. If your relationship with Christ is two or more hours, you've got better than a lot of churches, two or more hours with Jesus on a Sunday morning, and he's not the rest. This, this is your relationship. As, as the pickling solution, as you being in the presence of Christ changes you from this cucumber into him. You know, it's not nice to call Jesus a pickle, but for the, the service of my illustration, Jesus is the pickle, right? So here it is. It's Sunday morning. Serious cucumber. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't be in there that long. Hang on a minute. We need to adjust. There you go. What happens? You walk out of church, you're wet. There's a little Jesus on you. You go to lunch, somebody smells because you got some on you. Tomorrow, I smell like Jesus. No, tomorrow, you're still cucumber because it, it got on you, but it didn't get in you. So Pretend now this is the word of God. This is your paper Bible or your electronic Bible that you can read with your eyes and you go in there for a while and you stay in there for a while. If I had better illustrations, after a while what you'd see is that the color would start to change on this guy because now instead of just riding on the outside, just a little nice fragrance and aroma because you happen to rub up against Jesus for a little while on a Sunday morning, Around the edges, you taste like Jesus. And you could wipe this part off. You know, maybe you had a bad experience. But the part that's in there is still in there. What about if you spent some time every single day, not in front of the television, entertaining yourself because you had a rough day, but you just sat in a chair and you said, Lord Jesus, come please, visit me, speak to me. It's more and more and more. And, and pickles, you can get them, you know, that are a little bit pickle or that are crazy lot pickle. 
The only difference is how much time did that cucumber spend inside that fluid. And you can look in the church and you can find cucumber that's wet on Sunday, but still it's a cucumber. You can find pickles that got some flavor, but they still taste, you know, you can taste the cucumber in there. And, and you can find people that if you took a bite of them and they said, I was once a cucumber, they'd say, no way, you were born a pickle. Because there is no residue of self, cucumber, because you pickle, baby. All right? Now, see, somebody might have wanted my cucumber, but I took a bite out of it, so it's totally my cucumber now. I need to swallow it. Everybody close your eyes. I pray I don't put cucumber on you. You're welcome. How do I gain intimacy with Jesus? You have to read your Bible. There is no opportunity outside of having some reasonable sense of his word. You have to spend time with him in intimate prayer. You just do. There's another way. There's a place where deeds and intimacy intersect with one another, and it's the most awesome place. I'll read you one more scripture. Matthew 25 Verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right. This is, this is the Conrad story. If you wondered about the Conrad poem, this is the essence of the Conrad poem. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer them, will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. See, when you're with your mom, Teresa, you're with Jesus because you're being Jesus. And when you be Jesus, he's there. When you go to Flint with a bag of sandwiches and you find somebody that's hungry and you feed him a sandwich you just had intimate relationship with Jesus because whatever you do to these brothers of his, whatever you do to the least of these brothers of his, you did it to him. There is no greater expression of works than love. And there is no greater expression of love than personal sacrifice. When you give of yourself because you want to know Jesus, he will meet you because there's no greater expression of love that you want to know him more. You quoted the scripture um, from Jeremiah or yeah, in First or Second Chronicles. If you seek after me, you'll find me. When you, with all your heart, when you, when you are so passionate to know me that you come to me with everything that you have, when you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not cheap. He's your dad and he loves you, but he's not cheap. 
He desires your intimacy so that goodness can flow from your life. But you have to go meet him. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the creator of everything that is. He's the sustainer of the world. He is your provider. He is your healer. He is your everything. You have to give a rip. If you couldn't order Jesus lunch, you need to know Jesus better. If I can order, if I know more about my wife than I know about Jesus, I need to know Jesus better. And the beneficiary of that is me. And guess who else will be the beneficiary of me knowing Jesus better? My wife will be the beneficiary. So when he says, you got to love me with such a passion that makes your love for your wife look like hate, guess who gets to be blessed? My wife gets to be blessed because the deeper I have knowledge and relationship with Jesus, the deeper I will love my wife and love my children because I will know a love that's beyond expression that I can't even understand. So that's what I'll leave you with today. To whatever extent, there's a little tiny taste of cucumber in your life. Get in the fluid. Get next to Jesus. Embrace him. Chase after him. Tell him, I I hate everything but that I love you, Lord Jesus, because I need you so badly that I could love anybody else. You know, I didn't put it in the sermon, but the other scripture that popped into my head about how you will know, how people will know your disciples of him is by your love for one another. You know, I'm not talking about any of you guys, but there are people in this world that other people wouldn't know I was a disciple of Jesus if I had to love them outside of knowing his love for me. Because some people are just not that easy to love sometimes. But everybody can know we're disciples of Jesus by our love for one another because of his love for us and his faithfulness for us. And in our knowing him, we can do all things and love all people all the way, all the time. Amen? Okay, let me just pray over you real quick. Father God, I ask your anointing to come over each and every one of us in this room to have some sense for the truth that's in your word, to to be able to put down our selfish, and I'm just not trying to be angry or mean, Lord, just our, our sense of our own needs that we think are greater than our need to know you. And then, Lord, when we taste and see, let us have such an overwhelming good taste that there is no place else we'd rather dine than with you. Your word says that you stand at the door and knock, and if anyone would open the door, you would come in and dine. I pray, Lord, that we put down, give us the grace to put down every kind of fleshly desire that sets us away from knowing you more. And I pray for all of us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' mighty and holy name.